0: Hey, thanks for being here. I'm gonna ask you to do something for me uh, before we uh, get into our teaching tonight. I want you to think of um, not this Tuesday, but the Tuesday after that. That is September the 19th. And I'm gonna ask you to make that kind of a holy day uh, for you because that is Pathway at our church and that is the bread and butter that is the heart and soul of who we are as a church. And so during that night at Pathway, we help people take their next step in their spiritual journey. And so if you've not accepted Jesus as your Savior yet and been buried in Christian baptism, Pathway is for you. If you're not a member of our church and you're thinking, man, that ought to be a cool place to be a part of, Pathway is for you. If you're not serving anywhere, Pathway is for you. If you want to get in a group, Pathway is for you. If you want to memorize the whole Bible, Pathway is for you. What we do is we help people take their next journey. And I'm going to ask you to come and have dinner with me that night and join in what God is doing in your life. So September 19, uh, you can get on our app, you can get on our website, but I ask you to register. It's gonna be one of our best ones we've ever had, and we're looking forward to it. September the 19th. I got the date right, Neil Lancaster, right? I got the date right. Hey, how y'all doing? Everybody doing good? Come on now. Man, it's good to have you in the house of God. So the Little League, season at this point was not going well at all it wasn't going well no wins and there were six seven losses Now, everybody says, when the kids are that little, man, it's not about winning, it's about having fun and learning a few things. And let me tell you something, because I'm gonna tell you the truth. If anybody ever says that to you, that's because they're not a little league parent, because it is about winning. It's about winning. And so, so far in the season, zero and six wasn't going well too much for the parents. And the murmurings of blame We're starting in the bleachers And the first finger is always pointed at the coach Right? Now I know what I'm talking about Because I was the coach And man we just could not win a game that year I I had brought my standard down from winning to Maybe we might score today Okay? Let's just get a kid to touch home plate Man we were just terrible and then one evening, I get a phone call from the commissioner of the league. He's a personal friend of mine. He attends the church where I serve, and he says, Dave, I've had a complaint about you, and it's baloney, but I gotta give it to you. I just, I just gotta do that, it's my job. And he said, Mrs. Johnson called, and she said, you're the worst coach in the world. Now, I don't know about y'all, but I got two halves of my brain. All right, I got, a, I got a humble half of my brain and I have a prideful half of my brain. Anybody else deal with that? Okay, I got both of those. And my humble part of my brain kicked in immediately when Wayne told me that. And I said, well, that's probably right. You know, I probably got some things, I don't know about the world thing, that might be a, a bit of an exaggeration, but yeah, I probably got some things to learn. And the more I talked with my humble brain, my pride brain said, You ain't got to take that. And I said to him, does Mrs. Johnson know and realize that her son wouldn't know the difference between first base and center field if it jumped up and bit him in the nose? And the only reason we drafted him is because word on the street is that Mrs. Johnson brings the best snacks at the end of every game. Have you told her that yet? And Wayne then responded to me in something I've never forgotten. I've called upon it several different times in my life in different arenas for different purposes. He said, Dave, let me tell you the truth. Let me lay the truth to you. He said, if you're gonna win with kids this little, if you're gonna win with kids as little as what you're dealing with, here's the deal. You gotta have some players. It ain't coaching. You gotta have some players. You gotta have a couple studs it's all you need. And if you got a team full of the Johnson boys, you ain't gonna win. You gotta have some players. Now, I want you to think about that for a second and just put that somewhere else because I'm going to come back to it in a minute and you're going to see why I use that. Now, we're going to take a portion of this Bible over the next uh, four weeks and we're going to dive into this one little section of material. We're going to spend about a month in this part of it. I put a paper clip of it in my Bible and it is the book of Acts and it's starting in the second chapter, and we're gonna go through the seventh chapter. So we got, we got those six chapters there in the book of Acts from two to seven, and we're gonna dive in there for about a month here, and if you've always wanted kind of a, is there an easy way to kind of start reading the Bible? Let me just throw that to you, okay? Over the next several weeks, just start reading the book of Acts, Start in chapter two and read chapter seven, and then go back to chapter two and go through. Do it as many times as you have to do, because we're going to dive in there, and that is a that is a really important part of the Bible from Acts chapter two, verse seven. And I share this on a number of occasions when I'm preaching, is there's parts of the Bible that we ought to just kind of hold up and say, "I know about that part right there." And I want you to know about Acts chapter two to seven. It's a very important part of the Bible. What's happening in that little section of material is that Jesus has been raised from the dead, He's come out of the tomb. And and so that's happened, and he is about to ascend up into heaven. And that period of time is about 40 days from what we know. He came out of the tomb, and when went back to heaven. He had about 40 days where he ran around, proving he was alive, talking to people. And in that period of time, when he was close to leaving earth, he got his closest followers together, and he said this to them. Hey, Let's keep this thing going. I'm gonna be leaving the earth, but I'm gonna ask that you guys keep this going. Let this start to start to spread and let more and more people hear about what this message is about. And let's just see it grow and reach more and more people. Let's keep this thing going. And I want you to start it. I want you to start it in the city of Jerusalem. That's where I want you to get it going. And so the actual words of Jesus to his friends are found in the first chapter of the book of Acts before we get to our section. And he said, you will be my witnesses, watch that, in Jerusalem and and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, Just keep your eyes there for a minute. He said, I want you to keep it going and start here in the city of Jerusalem. And then it's going to going to get outside the city, man. It's going to go to regions all over, and it's just going to keep moving and spreading, and it's going to get to the ends of the earth. Let me show you something crazy. He said it's, it's going to move all the way to the ends of the earth. Watch this. That was said about 2,000 years ago, and now here you and I are about 6,301 miles from where it was said, we are the ends of the earth. But he said, we're gonna start here. We're gonna start in Jerusalem. And what we have in the Bible from Acts chapter two to Acts chapter seven, six, ver- six chapters, we have the historical data, we have the actual account of how that began to mushroom in the city of Jerusalem. And if I had to sum up what happened in those chapters, it comes down to this. They took the city. Dudes, they took it over they absolutely took over the city of Jerusalem. They claimed it as their own. They weren't just some new group of people that were kind of hanging out together and enjoying each other. No, man, they weren't that at all. They took the city. And man, I believe that is the will of God for every church that ever gets planted. Take your city, take your region, so over the next four weeks, i wanna, I want to talk to us about us as a church. And it is the will of God always for every church that it's not about constructing a nice building and, and we kind of get together when we're you know, conveniently available to do that. And, and we sing some pretty songs and, and kind of greet each other and listen to some guy teach. And we just go home and do our thing. That's not what he had in mind. He had in mind that people would take their city. Taking over a city means to implant the character of God into its culture. It means to change the value system of the city. It means to make waves in, in all areas of the world, in commerce, in education, in social life. It means to shine such a bright light that darkness is expelled. It means to begin a force in the city where masses of people are drawn to it. And I believe that what God did in Jerusalem where they took the city, is the same call that he has for every church, including ours here at Eastside. So I hear people from time to time, and I'm gonna get real with you for a couple times today, I get to talk to people all the time who say they're looking for church. And they come in here and we meet them or we talk to them and and they say things, man, I'm just looking for a church or family looking for a church. And Some of y'all might be here and you're kind of looking for a church and maybe you're online and you're thinking, man, we'll get in there and we'll check it out. And I usually ask people, so what are you looking for? And I'll hear things like, well, man, I kind of like this kind of music, and I hope you sing that kind of music, or I got, you know, little kids, and I hope you got some stuff for the kids, and I hope people are friendly, you know, I'm kind of looking for a friendly place, and and I hope it don't last forever, you know, I hope the preacher's short enough that I can beat the Baptist to the buffet, and, you know, they got all these things that they're looking for, and those are all good, man. I don't want to dismiss things that people are looking for in a church, but can I tell you my heart? is that there are times when I look at them and say, dude, you gotta raise the bar, man. You gotta raise the bar that if I'm looking for a church, I'm looking for a place that's taking its city, man. That's what I want. And that's what happened in the city of Jerusalem, that they absolutely took the city. And over those chapters, we find out what they did in Jerusalem and how they did it. And you begin to look at it and you begin to realize that man, that is what we ought to do. That's who we ought to be as a church. And so the question is, how did they do it? I mean, what happened in Jerusalem that we can pick up and we say, man, that can happen here. And although Eastside Christian Church is a great church and God has his favor on us and and it's just a great place to be right now and we're in an incredible season. I mean, God wants us to take our city. And so it seems to me that if we can figure out how they did it, then we can do it. And so what I wanna show you over the next few weeks is I wanna show you some things that happened there. Some things that happened in Jerusalem that enabled them to have that kind of impact in their region. And I think those things can happen here. And today, I want to share with you the first one. The very first thing that they did. And it comes down to this check this out. If you're going to take your city for Christ, you're going to need some players. You're going to need some players. And so you might look at that and think, okay, Dave, what are you talking about? What are you you saying about that? What does it mean that we're gonna have some players? I'm gonna show you early in this section of material today about what it means to be a player. And the challenge is for you and for me, who in this room right now willingly will say, I'm gonna be a player? So we gotta define what it is. Now, I've gotta take a little bit of a a sidestep here for a second, and I, I want you to kinda catch where I'm going with this, okay? So the whole month, we're gonna show you some things that happened in Jerusalem so they could take the city. And the first one is they got some players, man. They got some players. Now, let me step away from that for a minute. Because something happened early in Jerusalem that I would be remiss, and mistaken and unfaithful to the word of God if I didn't mention it. And so I want you to see something that happened early in Jerusalem and then we're gonna come back to the issue of the, per, the players because I can't miss this. Right before Jesus leaves the earth, he's gonna go back into heaven. You know that 40 days things there. Gets his followers together. Man, come on, we gotta keep this thing going. And he tells them this that I want you to go into Jerusalem and I want you to wait. You're gonna see this in a minute. And the power of the Holy Spirit is gonna come on you. And so if you had to ask anybody right now from a biblical standpoint, how in the world did they do what they did in Jerusalem? The ultimate answer was that God sent the power of his Holy Spirit And let me show you how that happened. Let's read the text that I want you to see. Jesus says, don't leave Jerusalem, okay? Don't leave, but wait for the gift my Father has promised which you have heard me speak about. And then he comes back to it and says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Everybody listen to this. This is a critical point historically in Christianity where God said, here's what I'm gonna do for churches. Is going to do for the church for all of time is I'm going to implant the power of the Holy Spirit on the church so that no power will ever be able to destroy the church. And I love that word power because it is pronounced in Greek, dunamis. It's where we get our term dynamite. So God says, I'm going to put some dynamite in the church, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there will not ever be a day, listen, don't miss this, there will never be a day this side of heaven on this earth where God's powerful church will be defeated by anybody. And so you might hear those things now, man, the church is having a struggling time. No, they're not, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I've read this to you so many times I've lost count. But I thought, I gotta read this again. It's one of my favorite things that I've ever found in print. I think we ought to put it on a wall somewhere around here. I really do, because it is a letter from the church To our arch enemy, Satan. So let me read it for you. I know you've heard it, but please let me do it. Uh, You know, kind of enable me to be able to do this, okay? You okay with this? All right, you okay with this? Okay, I love it. Satan, listen up, listen long, listen now, and listen well. I like that, listen. My dad used to say, eyeball me, eyeball, that's what that says. We are the church of the living God. We are bought with blood, charged with power, married to Jesus, indwelled with his spirit, immune from destruction, and we are destined for victory. We're not going to fear your foolish foibles. We're not going to run from your roaring, fold under your fire, be scattered by your schemes, be derailed by your deceptions, lulled by your lies, buckle under your barking, acquiesce under your attacks, or be scared by your subtlety. Why? Because we are part of the company of the committed, we're the crowd of the the covenant, the congregation of the courageous, the battalion of believers, the regiment of the redeemed, the division of the devoted, the army of the approved, the team of the triumphant, the lot of the lords, the platoon of the powerful, and the vestige of the victorious. Man, I'm running out of breath. We are not here to dread the war. We're not here to plan the war. We're not here to talk about the war. We're not here to study the war. We're not here to evaluate the war. We don't want to discuss the war. We came to win the war. Somebody say amen. Satan, the clock is running out for you. We have made our rapture, your rupture. Our consummation, your condemnation. Our reign, your ruin. Our victory, your vagrancy. Our success, your sorrow. And you can summon all of your hosts, but you will lose this battle. Watch this. For he that is within us is greater than he that is within the world where the church of the living God, where blood-washed, spirit-filled, battle-scarred, unrelenting, indestructible, and the gates of hell will never, ever, ever, ever prevail against us. Give it to the glory of God. Now, why is that true? Why is that true? Because of what happened in Acts 2 in Jerusalem. Because God says, here's what we're gonna do. Keep this thing going, man. but you need some dynamite power. and God places that dynamite power in what happened in Jerusalem and that dynamite power does not leave his church, no matter where it's at on this earth, because it's right here. But you know still some things had to happen. Some things had to actually happen in those ch- in those chapters that caused them to take their city. And the first one, they found some players. Now, for those of you who have a basic understanding of the Bible, I'm looking out and I see some of y'all that know the Bible probably better than I do, and you're going, I know what you're talking about. I know. I know where it happened. Because in Acts 2, there was a festival going on called Pentecost. Pentecost. Now, here's what Pentecost was. It was an old, old holiday, Jewish people. It went all the way back to the days of Noah, and they had this very special day that they actually called the Feast of Weeks, and it was turned into the term Pentecost, New Testament, and what it was was all Jewish people came together, and they gave honor to God for his love, his covenant that he made with Noah and for all the people of God. So it was a big-time holiday. It's called Pentecost. And in Jerusalem, we can't know this for sure. Our estimates are that the population of Jerusalem around the time of Jesus was somewhere between 50 and 75,000 Jewish people, somewhere around there. Let's just say 50,000 people. So on the day of Pentecost, you not only have 50,000 people celebrating God and his covenant with people, but you have all Jewish people from all different places. And there's all kinds of places that are represented. And they have all converged on this city. And they're celebrating this very special day. And Peter stands up. And Jesus has been gone for 10 days. And Peter preaches the very first Christian sermon about Jesus that's ever been preached on the earth. And those of you who know the Bible, those of you who Think you got it all together, man. You understand it. You say, that's where the players came in because 3,000 of them were baptized right then. You wanna talk about players? That's where it happened. Right there, 3,000 people got baptized. Now, I am gonna take a chance on losing my job here because 3,000 people getting baptized is exactly where our problem has come. We have made the mistake, and probably in our church as a Christian church, we've done it worse than anybody. We've made the mistake in believing that if we baptize people, they are automatically players. Players. And so we talk about baptism all the time. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't want you to say something I'm not saying. As a church, we believe, and rightly so, very strongly in the necessity of baptism. And we say that without apology. So I want you to hear me, everybody look at me, zero in. Online, come on, right here, right here. If you're living a life with God and you're trying to say, hey, I'm gonna be together with God now, I'm not gonna do the crazy baptism thing. You know, it's kind of over there, it's for the crazies, and that's just not gonna be my thing. And if that's who you are, I want you to hear me. You are counting on a deal that is found nowhere in Scripture. It's not there. Baptism is critically, critically essential in your following of Jesus Christ, critical. But baptism by itself will not make you a player. That sometimes baptism does nothing more than make you, you ready, an imposter. You see, if you wanna take the city, you gotta have some players. And so if everything is, man, we got to get you in and dunk you, then let me ask you a question. With all the baptisms were happening, why have we not yet taken the city? At my last look at this, we have had about 200 people baptized in our church this year. I think that's probably the most we've ever had at this part of the year. And that ought to be celebrated. That's a great, fantastic thing. But if that many people have been baptized, how come we still have crime in our streets? If 200 people have been baptized, how come we still shoot police officers? How come mental health issues are at crisis level? How come ungodly values and belief structures ease their way into our schools? How come we're still wrestling with sexual identity issues? How come poverty still has a chokehold on people? See, just because you baptize somebody does not mean they're a player who can now take the city. Important, but that's not the key. Here's what I want to show you in Acts chapter 2. The key, don't miss this, is what happened before they were baptized. This is big. Because when we go back to that story, we start to see that there were certain occurrences. I call them pre-baptism occurrences. And it is those occurrences that begin to shape people into players. And then baptism sealed it together. But it was the pre-baptism occurrences that turned them into players. Now, buddy, listen carefully, because I think you're with me right now. Everybody here, everybody here? Okay, listen very carefully. That when you skip the pre-baptism occurrences, you run the risk of being an imposter. So, So what are they? Well, they're not hard to see. You probably just haven't had them explained this way. And they come up in a couple of verses when Peter's preaching. Let's look at it from Acts chapter 2. When the people heard this, this is the very first Christian message about Jesus. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? What do we do? And then the next verse he says... Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what is happening there is that 3,000 people then get baptized because they took the pre-baptism occurrences seriously. So what were they? Well, there were only two. And the very first was, I call it conviction. It's my word that we find out that after the sermon was happened, it was all over with, the preacher was done, Peter had sat down, wiping sweat off himself like I do, and the Bible says that people came to him as a result of the sermon, and they said, what do you want us to do? Now, I've been preaching for a long time. I had a, I've had a lot of different uh, interesting results at the end of my sermons, okay? I've seen all kinds of things. Anybody remember, um, Winston Dickerson did an incredible job on staff here. He served as our high school pastor. He and Amanda, beautiful family. And uh, Winston's <laughs> preaching up in Michigan now. And many of us remember him. One one uh, Thursday night, man, I had preached my absolute heart out. I'd given everything I got. And Winston came up and said, man, great job. That was awesome. And he said, but man, you had a powerful impact on my son, Milo. I said, really? And remember? remember Milo? Milo at that time was probably about three. And Winston said, come here, you got to see this man. So we walked over to an area right over here where the dickens were sitting at night and there was Milo. He was upside down completely. His head was crammed down into the seat and his legs were flipped over the top of the seat and he was conked out to the world. You know, I couldn't even get in that position, much less sleep. That's the impact I have when I preach. Okay? Many, many years ago, I had a church call me and said, hey, we want you to come and do a revival for a church in Central Illinois. Anybody remember the days of revival? Anybody remember that? Okay, you're old, if you remember that. So I went and preached all week for this church. I gave everything I had, preached my guts out for that revival. And at the end of the last night, the elders said, hey, would you stick around for a little bit? We wanna to talk to you. I said, I'll be glad to, man. We sat in, I said, what's up, man? Was that awesome? And they said, our church has been struggling for a long, long time, man. We're having a hard time paying the bills. We can't get anybody to come. We can't get any new people. It's real struggling. And so we voted a few weeks ago that we're going to give this one last shot. And we're bringing this Hastings guy in. And we're giving him a week of revival. And we've had you here for a week and ain't nothing happened. So we're closing next week, okay? I think I am the only guy in the world who's ever preached a revival. And the result was I closed the church, okay? That's what I get when i preach. Peter preaches, and it says they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They were convicted. That word, cut to the heart, it's a a dual word. It actually means to be pierced in the heart, to be stabbed in the heart. It means to be stung, So he preached, and the end result of it was that their heart hurt, hurt. When we baptize people, and rightly so, it's a celebration, and we're happy, and we're clapping. And the pre-baptism occurrence is not that at all. It is a heart that is crushed, it's crushed. And why was their heart crushed? When well, we go back to the sermon of Peter that he talked about Jesus and the, 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 the mountaintop experience of the sermon, the, the main powerful arrow of the sermon is the 23rd verse in chapter two. Let me show you what Peter said. He said, this man, these are the words of Peter talking about Jesus, this man Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and knowledge. God planned all this. And, and you, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death. By nailing him to the cross. What Peter said in effective words is that you killed him. You did that. Your sin killed him. See, baptism becomes effective in only one circumstance and only one. And here it is, look at this. Baptism is only effective if it is preceded with conviction. I killed him. Me, I killed him. I heard somebody explain this the other day and I just thought, man, that's it. So let me kind of reword that a little bit. Let's say that I'm a judge. And let's say that you've been accused of a crime, a really, really bad crime. Let's say that you broke into somebody's house and you beat them to death and stole stuff from their house and and they caught you and you've been through the trial and you've been found guilty and now you are appearing before me as your judge to give the sentence to you. And so I look at you as you stand before me and I I say this to you, I say, there there has to be justice. What you did, there has to, There has to be a punishment to that. There's got to be something to try to equal that out. And, And as a just judge, I have to issue punishment. But I love you. I love you. I don't want your life to be ruined. I don't want that to happen. So I look over at the bailiff, and I yell out to the bailiff. I say, bailiff, would you go get my son? And he he runs out of the courtroom, and then a few minutes later he he walks in and he has my oldest son Kyle with him. I'm gonna pick on Kyle because he moved my grandsons to Florida and I'm still mad at him. So. so the bailiff brings in Kyle and I walk over to Kyle and I I'm whispering something in his ear, and I'm having a little talk with him. And, and he looks up at me and he says, okay, I'll do it. And, and the guards come and they handcuff him and they take him back out the room. And now I look at you and I say this to you. My son and I have agreed that he will die they're taking him to the chamber right now, and, and you're free to go. You can go and live your life. You're just free to go. If that happened to you, how would you feel? You would be cut to the heart. I killed a man. I killed a man because of my sin. People ask me all the time, how do I know I'm ready to be baptized? You are not ready to be baptized until you've been convicted like that. Because that begins to form you into a player. So has your heart ever been stung about that? And here's the answer to it, because once it is stung with the reality of that, you live with a stung heart. Now, it's interesting that when we go back to the story in Acts 2 and we find this happening, we find that the the next pre-baptism occurrence is just kind of a natural flow, because conviction leads to direction. And because of their conviction, the Bible says that Peter told them to repent. Now, if you've been at Pathway, if you've been there, and you've went through pathway, you've heard this. And if you're going to be a pathway for the first time in a couple of weeks, you're going to hear it then that the word repent itself is the Greek word, which means metanao, and it means nothing more than turn around and go a different direction. That's what it means. And, and so if you've been walking east, you start going west. If you're walking north, you start going south. You change directions. Now watch this. I'm so cut to the heart over what my sin has done to Jesus that now I'm determined to turn my life in a direction that will bring him honor and glory, even if it costs me to do that. And so the good things that I I should have been doing in my life but I've not been doing, I'm now going to turn and I'm gonna start doing them. And the bad things that I should not have been doing in my life but I've been doing those, I'm now gonna turn and I'm not going to do them anymore. See, baptism is the seal of conviction and change direction. And that's, what makes a person a player. And if you try to do this Christian thing, even the waters of baptism, and you don't get stung to the heart, and you don't make change in your life, you don't end up being a player. You end up being an imposter. And everybody hear this. Imposters never take Cities only players do. God reminded me of this last week. You would think, after all these years, I would have this figured out. Susan and I were in our hometown last weekend. She was visiting her mom at the nursing home, and I mean, her family does an incredible job for her mama. And so I had been doing some things in town and I was gonna run by there. I was gonna see my mother-in-law and I was gonna pick up Susan and we were gonna head back. And and um, I had a, I had a few minutes before I was gonna get there and so I pulled into this, this church that is about, I, I don't know, maybe 100 yards from the nursing home. I pull in this church parking lot and I kind of park under the shade there because I got a few minutes and, And and there's just some heavy things I want to pray about. And uh, I actually had a book with me that dealt with this sermon that I wanted to read a little bit. And so I I park in this this church lot. And if you looked at that church, you would say, man, this place is dilapidated and it's fallen apart. And I don't even know how many people go to it anymore. But watch this. It is the church. My mother-in-law is now living about 100, 200 yards away. It is the church where I was baptized 47 years earlier. And that nostalgia just kind of grabbed me. I thought, how crazy is that? That 47 years ago is when I was in the baptistry and, um, and, and it happened right here. And now almost 50 years later, I'm in the same doggone parking lot and I'm praying and I'm studying and I'm gonna pick up my, my wife and my mother-in-law. Just right, I thought, how, how crazy is that? And then my mind, I think God just used it, took me to that baptism. And after I was baptized at three o'clock in the afternoon, I was 15 years old. I was almost 16. I was 15. And at the end of that that baptism, me and my buddies went to play basketball. And all my buddies were at the baptism because my friends led me to Jesus and they were so happy for me. And so we went to this, this schoolyard at outdoor basketball and we we're playing basketball. And man, I'm baptized, and I'm a Christian. And and I don't know if I missed a shot. I don't know if somebody found I can't remember what happened there. What I do remember is that I yelled my my voice as loud as I could with cursing words. And one of the guys who had been part of my development and leading me to Jesus by the name of Brian came over on the court. And I'm thinking this last Sunday, sitting in that church parking lot, God is reminding me of that. And Brian came over and put his arm around me. We're 15, 16 years old. And he said, dude, did you not just get baptized? And hear what he was saying. Have you not been convicted and changed direction? Because that makes you a player. See, players walk differently than they've ever walked. Imposters walk like they have always walked. Players are motivated by a, a deep sense of gratitude for the one who paid their punishment. And imposters tend to forget what happened on a tree outside of Jerusalem. Players are gladly submissive to the non negotiables. They worship together as a family. They believe and obey the word of God. They use their abilities and their finances to advance the cause of God's word. Listen to this Imposters negotiate the non negotiables. Players dream of their city transformed into the likeness of their Lord. And imposters blend in with their city. So a couple years after the horrid little league year, they called me and asked me to coach a little community youth basketball. And we went undefeated that year. We didn't lose a game. We won the city tournament against our arch rival. And watch this. This is the truth. We had the Jackson or the Johnson boy on our team. He was on our team. And that meant we had great snacks after every game. But we had four players that made all the difference in the world. And I believe that God has us in this place right now for a reason. East side, take your city. But we gotta have some players. Father, I thank you for the opportunity of impact in this world through the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for that. Now, would you raise us up? Would you call people who've been playing games not to play games anymore? Would you call imposters out for who they really are? And would you send us some players? Would you move our hearts to be all in? And you'll be honored when we give you your city.